Welcome to Monticello Podcasts, where we look at various aspects of Monticello, Thomas Jefferson, and the work of the Thomas Jefferson Foundation, which has owned and operated Monticello since 1923. I'm Chad Woolerton, Monticello's webmaster. Here's a question that might have interested Thomas Jefferson. Which of these animals are native to North America? The horse, the buffalo, the turkey, or the camel? Any thoughts? Okay, it's a trick question. The answer depends on what time period you're talking about, according to Andrew Smith, author of Popped Culture, The Social History of Popcorn in America, of The Encyclopedia of Junk Food and Fast Food, and of The Turkey, An American Story. This past September, Mr. Smith appeared at the 2008 Historic Plant Symposium, which is sponsored every two years by Monticello's Thomas Jefferson Center for Historic Plants, and gave a quick primer on the history of the American turkey, as well as a quick review of the validity of the story of the first Thanksgiving. I'd like to start seven million years ago. <laughs> Only for a second. Um, it, in seven million years ago, as you all know, you all know plate tectonics. Is that something that rings a bell with people? Uh, the, all the entire crust of the earth, including what's under the ocean, are flowing on magna, and they keep changing around. Uh, seven million years ago, something interesting happened. North America went south and, and plowed into South America, at least the top of it. Uh, and this changed American history in, in ways um, that we're only beginning to understand today. The first thing is North America and Asia prior to that time were connected by a huge land bridge, not, not just a little tip on the Bering Strait. We're talking about a thousand-mile connection. And what this meant was, was that uh, animals and plants from Asia uh, could could come to North America, and North American plants and animals could, in fact, go to Asia. Uh, the point of origin for the horse and the camel, anyone know what it is? Not Asia. North America. Shock. They were going west. They, they enjoyed the uh, idea of hitting it off in Asia, and we're going to have a good time. Uh, from Asia came two other animals. Anyone know? The buffalo is an Asian animal, and the turkey is an Asian animal. We think of these as real American symbols, and the honest answer is they're Asian. You can, uh, with artificial insemination, uh, you can mate a, a turkey and an Asian pheasant, uh, which is closely connected with uh, the peacock, um, and you can have progeny that are alive. And, and likewise, as farmers in America found out, you can mate uh, buffalo with, with cows, uh, and you can have progeny coming out of it. In fact, how many of you have consumed real buffalo? No, put your hands down. Uh, the answer is there, there's probably no buffalo left with the DNA of the original buffalo because they've all been uh, mated early on with cows because if you have buffalo, it doesn't have a lot of fat in it, and fat is one of the characteristics of taste, um, and consequently, for, for years, farmers have been trying to, to mate the two, and, and what you've really ended up with is something that looks like a buffalo. You think of it as a buffalo, and you can feel really good about it helping save buffalo in America, but in fact the buffalo uh, that were here prior to the time of the European um, conquest have simply disappeared. Now, buffalo, by the way, uh, uh, 
came into America that weren't very, the North America, they weren't very successful to begin with uh, during the period from 7 million years ago. The problem is when South America, North America hit, the ocean currents changed and shifted the hot water from the tropics and shoved it into the Arctic. Now, you would think this would melt the Arctic. I mean, isn't that a logical sequence? Hot water going into the Arctic, but the exact opposite happened, and you had the beginning of the Ice Ages, the last one of which ended about 12 to 14,000 years ago. It is only then that the buffalo takes over North America from the Plains areas all the way into Virginia. There were buffalo here in the original uh, times when uh, colonial Americans came. They found buffalo here. There buffalo in New York City, if you can believe that. Um, and there were buffalo, of course, in the Plains, and, and that is where we think of them today. The turkey had an interesting um, tra trajectory, too. came to North America prior to the 7 million years ago. It was uh, a animal that survived throughout North America, never made it into South America at all, unlike so many other uh, animals. The camel did make it down to South America, and what did they end up? Llama and the alpaca, uh, etc. So, but the turkey never made it down there. The turkey was domesticated in what is today Mexico. Um, it is the Spanish who ran into the domesticated turkey with Cortez's conquest of Mexico in 1519. Cortez takes one look at this and says, wow, this is fantastic. Why would Cortez fall in love with the turkey? Anybody? <laughs> Golden eggs, no. Uh, we have a remedial program on turkeys a little later. So the, the turkey, the male turkey spreads its feathers. Now, at least during mating season. Um, and uh, that happens to be a close relative of the peacock, which we mentioned before. The peacock was the number one uh, fowl in Europe uh, in, in the 15th, 16th, 17th, and even up until the 18th century. Now, any of you ever consume peacock? I did. You're lucky. Um, it tastes terrible. But taste is not the major factor in European food uh, in the 16th, 17th century. Uh, image was, unlike today. Now, image has no part in food today. Uh, but in the 16th and 17th century, it was all things. And those tail feathers were the hot little number. So what you would do is you would pull off all the feathers of a peacock. You would then cook the peacock. You would then bring the peacock out. Then you would sew the feathers back on, okay? Now you're laughing at this. This is, this is high-level European cuisine just prior to um, the European uh, settlement of North America. And then they would take out the bird. They would cart it around so everybody could see it. And what would you say? Ooh, ah, cheers, clapping would go along. They would then take the bird back into the kitchen. They would pull off the feathers, and they would carve it in the kitchen. And, or excuse me, there would be a professional carver that was a nobleman only would do the carving. Um, and then, of course, the best part of the peacock, which I'd never figured out what it was, um, you would then give that to the most important person at the, who would see, sit it at the banquet, etc., etc. Now, peacocks have a problem. They're a South Asian bird. They don't um, grow well. They don't, can't, can't raise them easily in Europe. And so it was only for the nobility. Now you have the turkey that comes along. The turkeys, male turkey's feathers aren't that great, uh, but they're heck of a lot better than pigeons, all right? So you have this image, and um, Cortez introduces the turkey into Spain. Immediately, the turkey is adopted by the royalty in Spain. 
and in Italy. Uh, you have the first record of the turkey arriving in Italy in uh, 1520, one year after Cortez comes into Mexico. Uh, it is immediately adopted by the royal families of the rest of Europe. And because the turkey is relatively prolific, at least compared with um, the peacock, uh, it very quickly goes down from the royalty to the nobility and from the nobility to normal farmers. By 1550, we're talking, what, uh, 58 years before Jamestown, the turkey is a common food in England. It is served at Christmas time. It is in markets. It costs less than chickens do in the 1560s, 1570s. So when Europeans begin their settlement of North America, they already know about the turkey. The turkey is not something unusual at all. They come here and they see turkeys. Now, there's a problem with the domesticated turkey early on. Anyone want to guess what the problem is? It's really small, all right? The domesticated turkeys, which is a characteristic of the domestication of all animals, they're really small right after domestication. It takes time to build them up. In this case, the wild turkey was much larger than the domesticated turkey. I know it's a bizarre thought because we think of things differently today, uh, but we have nice records that I believe um, of turkeys being 30 pounds, 40 pounds, 50 pounds, and the record is 60 pounds, and it's by a person who I trust relatively well. They said the turkey was easy to catch because it couldn't fly. Um, so I can imagine why it couldn't fly, and they said it even tasted good when they, when they boiled it up. So uh, in any case, you have rel really large uh, wild turkeys here. Now, wild turkeys and domesticated turkeys can mate, and they do, and they did. And it happened to be here in Virginia, if you can believe this, um, that turkeys, um, the wild turkeys, domesticated turkeys uh, mated, and you ended up with a Virginia bronze turkey. Now, anyone ever hear of the Virginia bronze turkey? It was a hot number in England in the, in the mid early 18th century. And you have these Englishmen say, my gosh, look what came over from the colonies. This is a great success story. This huge turkey, it probably weighed 20 pounds, uh, but compared with domesticated turkeys of the time, that's great. Uh, and consequently, uh, the, immediately began breeding Virginia bronze turkeys. And you have a much larger domesticated turkey come. It is from the Virginia bronze turkey that you have the broad-breasted bronze, uh, which uh, comes into America and then changed its name a little later on. Anyone know what it changed its name to? What? What? Butterball. That, that's exactly correct. You got it. Uh, so you, you have this fascinating story of a connection between uh, the, the, the new world, the old world of breeding. Uh, it just so happens that the butterball is a direct descendant of the Virginia bronze turkey. Now, as we all know, um, it is the broad-breasted white. They're no longer bronze. They're now white uh, that dominate the turkey market. And as far as I know, 99% of the turkeys consumed in America are, broad are strains of broad-breasted whites. Now, um, one, I know a number of you are connected with slow food. How many of you are connected with slow food that you sell a couple of you? My, my hat's off to you uh, because virtually um, all of the uh, varieties or strains of, of turkeys, which disappeared uh, almost entirely about 10 years ago or 15 years ago, are now being brought back by work of slow food and by another, other farmers. And my congratulations to you. Um, I think that's fantastic. So that's a story with regard to turkey, but I have one other thing. How many of you know about the first Thanksgiving? 
Nobody wants to raise their hand anymore around here. I don't know. I'm just being, you know, trying to be open and honest about things. How many of you think it happened in 1621 in Plymouth, Massachusetts, when Native Americans and the Puritans, well, not Puritans, but they're separatists, they came together and they had a dinner together, and that's the first Thanksgiving. How many of you think that's what it was? You just need some exercise. Okay. Um, Exercise is good. Uh, Well, arguing what what Thanksgiving means, I mean, I won't spend hours for that, but the most important thing is Thanksgiving was a religious day, uh, at least among the Puritans in particular, and the last thing that anyone in New England would have done on the day of Thanksgiving would be to spend it in the kitchen cooking turkey, okay? Um, There uh, there isn't an event that happens in 1621. The, The uh, separatists and the Puritans that followed them did not consider it a Thanksgiving. They had no celebration of it afterwards. There is no connection with that event um, and uh, Thanksgiving Day until uh, 1841. That's the first time a Lincoln connection is made between that event. And all of a sudden, it really became popular, the story, after the American Civil War. Why would it become popular after the American Civil War? <clears throat> Yeah. Well, and one of the things, the, the problem after the American Civil War is you have massive amounts of immigrants coming in. And uh, what, one of the problems, you've got to educate these people about what America stands for. And it just so happens that the North won the Civil War. I know this is a news to many of you, uh, but it did happen that way. And so you have the story that comes from uh, New England that becomes a part of textbooks in, in uh, the American schools. And then virtually every American elementary school begins the drama of Thanksgiving with dressing up as Indians. Did any of you do this? I've always wanted to be the Indians. Uh, Indians to me were good. Um, in any case, uh, you have the story, and it really becomes propaganda on the part of the United States government to encourage a nationalism, which I don't object to, but simply say as an historian it has nothing to do with history. So I'm sorry that I've destroyed Thanksgiving for you. We're not move on. To learn more about the Thomas Jefferson Center for Historic Plants, visit monocello.org slash chp slash index.html or twinleaf.org where you can find dozens of articles on Jefferson's interest in gardening and horticulture. And to find out how Jefferson figured in the history of Thanksgiving, visit monocello.org or the Thomas Jefferson Encyclopedia at wiki.monocello.org and type Thanksgiving in the search feature. Thanks for listening.